Well, good evening. Hello, everyone. How's, how's it going tonight? We good? We're doing all right. We're doing all right. And for those of you who are at home, who are tuning in, uh, we just want to thank you once again for inviting us into your home, uh, allowing us to join you for worship tonight. Uh, but we're all excited to be here, uh, gathering here in the house. We've got a crowd up in the balcony even tonight. That's right. Shout out to you folks, because you guys just like to sneak in unseen. Not tonight, my friends. Not tonight. We see you. I'm kidding. Hey, uh, so a couple announcements uh, as we get started. Uh, if this is your first time here tonight, thank you for coming. Uh, that's pretty pretty dope. That takes some courage to come to a new place. And so uh, we're just here to, to love on you, to uh, welcome you. And just really, we would love to get to know you. And so we've got a 10-minute party that we do in the back. Uh, so when service ends, feel free to head back there. Someone's going to be back there for only up to 10 minutes. Uh, that just gives us a chance to get to know a little bit about you. Uh, and most importantly, there's a connection card that you can fill out. The easiest way to fill that out look at these transitions, is by downloading our app. So if you don't have our app yet, uh, feel free to pick that up in the Google Play Store or in the App Store. That also allows you to um, not just fill out that connection card. Uh, there's a, a link that you can go to that if you want to uh, volunteer, get involved, you can do that. We've got playlists, uh, and that's where giving uh, is done as well, so you can give online. So, uh, yeah, and then if you're new and you're online, we do have some hosts in the chat right below. So feel free to type in, hey, this is my first time, and you're going to get welcomed by whoever's tuning in and by those hosts. Uh, if you need prayer, too, there's a little link. You can click a uh, button to, to ask for prayer uh, as well. So uh, we're going to get started here in a couple minutes. So let's stand up real quickly. Uh, we're going to start by praying for our Church of the Week, and the Church of the Week is uh, Journey Church. So Pastor Jim, Pastor Rick, uh, their senior pastor, their main pastor has been on a sabbatical for a while. Uh, and so we're just, we're going to lift them up, uh, ask God's favor upon them, and just ask God to bless us and uh, bless this time that we get to gather to worship together. So, Lord, uh, we're excited to be here. Uh, your word says, to him who is able to do more than we could ask or imagine, to him be glory and honor in the church. And so we want to lift you up tonight, Lord, and we want to come expectant. We want to come knowing that you are far bigger and far more capable of doing anything that we even think you could. And so we're asking, would you surprise us tonight? with the work that you want to do in our hearts. We pray that you would surprise Journey Church as well, Lord, that you'd be working in their lives. Uh, we thank you for their leadership team that's been navigating through the season where their, uh, their lead pastor has been on a sabbatical. We pray that that time would be refreshing for him, uh, would allow him to just to renew his spirit, and during that time to really hear from you, God, uh, just solid vision on how he can come back and help direct that church uh, to be successful and to make an impact uh, in the community and with the, the people that are around them. Uh, so just bless them. Lord, would you bless this time again uh, as we gather uh, to lift you up. Would you use this time to fill our cups, Lord, because we need you. We need this time, and we want to hear from you tonight, God. We're excited for all that you're going to do now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said, amen. flows there is a fountain that drowns sorrow there is an ocean deeper than fear the tide is rising rising there is a current stirring deep inside it's overflowing from the heart of god the flood of heaven crashing over us the tide is rising rising 
lifts up a shout of praise. There's nothing that he can't do. There's nothing our God can't do. Amen.
That's our heart tonight. That's what we're asking. Would heaven come down here? Would you make your home among us and dwell in this place tonight, Jesus? And as we all seek to gather around you to come up to your throne, we come with reverence. We come knowing that we're approaching a holy God. And yet we come with confidence knowing that we are welcomed and received because you made the way, Jesus, for us to do so. That's 
tongue, Lord. Our country needs that right now, Lord. Would you cover this land? Would you anoint this place, Lord? Bring healing, bring restoration. And that starts with us here in the church, that we need to devote ourselves to humility. We need to devote ourselves to repentance. But as we do those things, as we come together in unity and grow into maturity, God, that's when revival can happen. That's when revival will break out. So maybe in this moment, Lord, would you just speak to one person who could catch a glimpse of your glory, of what that would look like to live that out. Maybe a group of people would get that glimpse to know what it would look like to just pursue a life of holiness, to pursue the life that you've called us to live. And as we do it, Lord, we would see change happen. And as we see that change happen, we'd all be stirred, our affections, our emotions, all of us, we'd be stirred up into to pursuing this together to pursuing after you. And as we do that, man, we don't even know what could happen, God. We can't even dream that big. That starts right now, Lord, just in this moment. So take a moment to pray for yourself tonight. Ask God that he just let you focus in on him tonight. Maybe that there'd be one thing that you could take from tonight, one message that he wants you to hear. Just pray that God would give you open eyes, open ears, and an open heart to receive that. Pastor Jack as he comes to speak and ask God's anointing over him, over this message, that he'd speak God's words to us tonight, not just his own. Lord, we love you. We trust you excited to see what it is that you want to do tonight, God. Open our hearts to receive it now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 It is good to have you here in the house or good to have you joining us for worshiping together. And uh, how many of you have been to the store? Maybe you've had to wear your mask, but you've been to the grocery store sometime in the last couple weeks? Three of you. Perfect. Um, I don't know how you're eating, staying alive, but uh, glad that you are and you're able. Maybe uh, Uber Eats is all you have. But if you've been to the grocery store, here's what you've walked down the aisles and what you notice. You'll notice maybe a product that you buy, that you use, and you'll see over time, it may have been last year, the year before, maybe this year, their whole labeling changes, right? The whole packaging of everything changes, and they have a sticker on there somewhere that says new and improved, right? New and improved, and meaning, okay, what, what, what this product was in the past was, yeah, it was okay, it's not that great. This is way better because we've changed the colors or we've changed something. We've made it new and improved. And if you have your Bible, I want you to go to Ephesians chapter 4. If you have our app, you could download the sermon notes and kind of follow along from there. But we're going to be in Ephesians 
chapter 4. And I want you to kind of keep that in mind as we look at what the Apostle Paul is helping us see something here toward the end of chapter 4 about this whole idea that this, this concept of new and improved. That everything we have in Jesus has changed our position and has changed who we are. And now it's going to be active and God's power is active in our lives as followers of Jesus to help us be new and improved. Now, for some of you, you may be tuning in online or sitting here. You came with a friend and I think it's awesome that you're here. Maybe you're kind of on a spiritual journey yourself and you wouldn't even necessarily say that you're a follower of Jesus. Maybe you say you're a fan of Jesus and you're kind of investigating. And I want to tell you, it's just, I think it's awesome that you're here. I think it's awesome that you're pursuing investigating your own spiritual journey, coming to a place of maybe figuring that out for yourself. There's a lot of folks here, myself included, that have become convinced that this guy, Jesus, really is the real deal. Uh, And not only is he the savior of the world, but what he has to say about life can really help you live the best possible kind of life. And and the apostle Paul uh, was one who was following after Jesus, and, and God used Paul to write so much of the New Testament that we have in our Bibles today. And Ephesians is one of those books we've been looking at. So if you're just jumping in, uh, you could go back on the app and watch uh, the last few messages if you want. But we're kind of looking at this idea. Some people would say Ephesians is kind of quintessential Paul. It's the concise summarization of his theology. Uh, Romans is probably the most theologically packed book that, that Paul wrote. But Ephesians has so much about the theology, about who Jesus is and what he's like. So much of Paul's writings uh, usually start with the first couple of chapters of these early epistles. or uh, They would be letters. Uh, that's what they'd be known as today. These letters to churches back in the first, second century. Uh, the, the letter to the church in Ephesus is the book of Ephesians. And, and so... So this letter would be, okay, maybe the first couple chapters is about theology. It's about who Jesus is and and what he's done as a person who's maybe put your faith in Jesus, that he's changed your whole position and who you are, your identity. And so you remember kind of back to that first week we talked about Paul was kind of trying to get them to, to just whisper, remember who you are. That we live in a culture that is always trying to get our identity tied to so many things that we do or that we achieve or that we pursue. And he's saying, no, your identity is set and settled in who Jesus says you are. So remember who you are. And we looked at chapter 2, this idea of, okay, what this theology approach of what Jesus in his life and his death and his resurrection did was kind of like this divine demolition and renovation project. Not just of your life, but of all things. It goes way beyond just your life and way beyond just my life. It's of all things. He's destroying this wall of hostility that would separate us. And and so much of our world tries to make us kind of divide into subgroups or into different camps. Or here's my tribe and there's your tribe and we can't get along. And Jesus is saying, no, I'm above all of that. And as a person who's submitted their life to Christ and following after him, it's, that's what holds us together. We have unity, even though we may not have uniformity. And that unity isn't the idea of everyone being the same, but it is this idea that what, what tries to divide us is so much less powerful than what actually unites us in Jesus. And what if the church got that right in a world that's trying to divide and separate everybody from everyone? And what if we could get that rolling? And so we looked at this idea of that, and it would be strengthened in love, the prayer that he prays for us there. Last week, Lyle did a great job kind of helping us see this map to maturity, this map to this idea of how do we grow up 
in Christ. Because usually what happens in Paul, he, he, in the early parts of these letters, he talks so much about our theology and our position in Christ. And then he starts putting application to that. Here's, because of all of this, because of who you are now, here's how this begins to shade and shape and impact your character, your life, and how you live out uh, your existence as a follower of Jesus. And so this map to maturity is saying, hey, look, humility and gentleness, that needs to be the markers of your life as a follower of Jesus. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus, live how you want. But if you're a follower of Jesus, these are to be the markers of who you are and then how now you live. And he's going to continue with that here toward the tail end of chapter 4. And I want us to kind of investigate what this is about, this idea of new and improved. He's, he wants to show us a contrast. Now, you all know examples of a contrast, right? Examples of a contrast would be someone, maybe if you've ever, um, if you've ever had like, I don't know, P90X or, you know, beach body, something like that, and you went on own, your own journey, and you're like, okay, I'm going to do a contrast. So you do a before picture, and then you do this journey of this exercise routine, and then you become the after picture, right? And there's a contrast between who you were and then who you are now, and, and there's this contrast that people can see. There's a contrast examples of before and after room renovations. Some of you have renovated maybe rooms in your house, and like, here's what it looked like before, here's what it looks like now, and you did this renovation, and it's this contrast between what it was and what it is. In some climates of our country, there is a contrast between winter and summer. I don't know if you guys know that. Google it. That's not the case here because it is almost Thanksgiving and how many of you are hot still? Like, can we get like winter, fall? Can we even have fall? Like, can we just move toward that? Like, I would love that contrast, right? Instead of just summer 2.0. And that seems to be the case here in Arizona. That's just what it is. Martin Luther King, in his famous speech, I have a dream, right? That, that dream, that speech was all about contrast. Here's the way things are. Here's what I wish and dream they would be. And so contrast is something that's stark. It's something that catches your eye. You, you notice it. You feel it. And Paul, in this letter to the church in Ephesus, and really the letter to your heart and to mine, tonight is going to say, listen, I want to see a spiritual contrast in you. Because of everything Jesus has done, because of everything of, of who he has, what he's accomplished and who he has made you to be, now, let that spiritual contrast play out in the way you now live. Can you feel it? That's what he's getting ready to say. He's getting ready to walk through this. So uh, would you read with me in Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 17. I'm just going to kind of read through 17 through 24 here. You can follow along if you want. Here's what it says. So I tell you this. And I insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. So the Gentiles, just a, a clarification, is he's saying people who are not walking with Jesus. So he's just, a, it's a title or a, a slogan, a name tag for anyone who would not say, okay, I'm a follower of Jesus. They were just, they're living their own way. So I want you to insist on it, that you must no longer live as just anyone who's not following Jesus. That you don't live as they do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding. They're separated from a life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts, meaning they're hardening their hearts against God and his ways. 
They've lost all sensitivity, and they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life that you learned. So he's starting to turn the corner. Here's the contrast, he's saying. When you heard about Christ and you were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted in deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitude of your minds, to put on the new self, and to put on that new self that's created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So Paul is saying, to you, to me, to those who are followers of Jesus. Hey, listen, there's meant to be this spiritual contrast in your life and in your living. And I want you to go about understanding, I want you to feel that, that you don't just go along with the crowd, that you don't just go along with what culture says, you don't go along with just the ways of the world. In fact, there's this contrast that's meant to be a part of how you now live because of everything he has said in chapters 1, 2, and 3. Because of what Jesus has done for you, because of the uh, the salvation that he's brought you, it's now to impact how you now live. And so that doesn't mean perfection. Uh, How many of you here are perfect? Yeah, none of us, right? And so this isn't this idea that there isn't going to be tension in your life. We want to be perfect, but we all fall short of that. I fall short of that. We want God's best, maybe, and yet I know I fall short of that. I'm sure you do as well. And there is this tension. In fact, Paul writes about that in the book of Romans where he talks about, I do what I don't want to do and I don't do what I want to do. And there's this tension that we battle this side of heaven. But what he's saying is that the spirit of God is active in your life as a follower of Jesus. There is to be this contrast. Verse 14, 15, and 16 is all about how you grow up in the likeness of Christ. That's what Lyle looked at last week. That we're to grow up and our character begins to change. We become to have wisdom like he had wisdom. We begin to choose maybe more and more the ways Jesus would do things. And now Paul's going to get real specific about how you change. Which is quite fascinating when you think about it. Um, How do people change? You ever thought about that? Like you think about your own life. Like how do you change habits or, or practices that you have in life? And when you really begin to think about it, Change is a big, big deal and a huge part of life. And some people figure it out and it has dramatic effect in their life. And some people never seem to get it figured out, do they? And that's why there's, they're stuck in this cyclical approach to life. And, and it never really breaks out of a rut, so to speak. And you know friends like that. I know friends like that. Listen, we've walked the road like that. Where, where there hasn't been some adjustment or change. You think about the entire education system that I know is on Zoom right now. For those of you who are teachers, I'm so sorry. I know this is a challenge. But you understand the education system or all of counseling or all of social work or urban planners, most of sociologists, most fitness coaches, what's their goal? To help you change. We have so many people in professions who spend all of their time, all of their energy, all their profession, all their job trying to get people to change. And Paul's going to lay out, I think, a secret in here, a simple thing if we would catch it, 
that helps us understand uh, how do we go about change. It's, it's almost like Paul's throwing in some psychology here along with some spiritual truth. Here's how you go about change. Here's how the Spirit of God can work change in your life. And he's going to talk about this contrast again. The, the futility of thinking of those who have not said yes to Jesus. They're kind of living the way of the world and those who have said yes to Jesus, and the contrast that's meant to be between. And he talks about this idea that I don't want you to live like the Gentiles live, or those who aren't walking with God, those who don't have a heart to want to know God or make him know that they, they live with this futility of thinking that actually is vanity. It's a pursuit of sensuality to try to, to fill a need of their own life, and yet they, they pursue it more and more and more, and yet there's this continual lust for more and never really truly gets to a place of satisfaction or they lack, and there's this ache of their heart. And listen, if you are a person who has accepted Christ maybe later on in life, then you know that feeling that you had before you walked with Jesus, where you, you tried a bunch of different things. You tried relationships. You tried uh, money. You tried uh, working out, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get the right job. And you just pursued hard after all those things, and yet it still left you lacking. Like you never really fully got satisfied or fulfilled in life. And then you found Jesus, or better yet, Jesus found you, and it began to change. And now the job, well, it's a job. Well, and now the relationships are a relationship and they're fulfilling and yet it's not just about what I get out of it, it's about what I give into it. And, and all of a sudden there's this contrast in the way that you approach life. And Paul is saying, listen, don't get to the place where you've just, where this, this futility of thinking just warps you and, and your heart becomes hard and you miss out on what God has for you. You go after things, and you, there's a sense of doing a whole lot of work and not really getting anywhere. Do you ever have conversations with your friends who are maybe not walking with the Lord, and, and they express that? That there's this angst or this longing in their heart, and yet, in a lot of ways, folks, maybe in your previous life before Jesus, or friends that you know, that they've kind of given themselves over, Paul says here, to this pursuit of sensuality trying to fill that hole in their life, the ache and the angst that they have. If I just do this, maybe I'm tired of the futility of life. If I just experience this, then I will feel totally satisfied. Then I'll find fulfillment. If I just finally achieve or acquire this, then I will have arrived. And the reality is that finish line never comes. And it's just one more pursuit that people give themselves over to, and it begins to drain life. And so many people I've known have lived their life pursuing that, and really where it took them was to a place of addiction, to a, to a rut in life that was just became cyclical. And they would think it would lead them to hope and to happiness and to fulfillment, and yet it left them more and more empty. And they would sit and have coffee and say, I'm trying, and I don't feel like I'm ever arriving where I want to be. And friends, the scriptures say, no, no, listen, there is a hole in your heart and mind that is never going to be fully satisfied outside of God fulfilling and stepping into that. That a relationship with him is what actually brings that completion that you long for. And so if if you're a person who has never said yes to Jesus, but you're investigating, I just want to tell you, keep going. 
don't quit. Keep investigating him. I promise you. If he will never give up on you. And maybe a breakthrough in your life is actually closer than you think. And it's not based on what you do. It's not based on what you try to achieve or what you try to fill. But maybe it's in being found by the one who created you. And so if that's you, just stay open and keep pursuing Jesus. Uh, For many of us in this room, maybe many of us watching online, that was the breakthrough for us of getting to a place where it it was Jesus who captured us and who found us and who changed us. I love how the message translation uh, captures these last couple verses uh, of what we're reading, 22 through 24. Here's what it says. Uh, Paul's saying this contrast. Don't live this way. Listen, that's not life for you. You learned Christ. My assumption is that you have paid careful attention to him. Since then, we do not have the excuse of ignorance, Everything, and I do mean everything connected with that old way of life or the way of the world, we could say. It's rotten through and through. Get rid of it. And then take on this entirely new way of life and living, a God-fashioned kind of life, a life renewed from the inside out, working itself into the conduct, to your conduct as God accurately reproduces his character within you. Paul's saying, with Jesus, you're going to be new and improved. There is going to be this contrast between the way things used to be and the way things are. And what your friends who are not walking with Jesus need to see is a contrast. Something different than what they've experienced. Something different than what they know. Because they already know what they know. What they want is something different. And that's you as a follower of Jesus. That's me. Christ sees people as redeemed. When you say yes to Jesus, you are given uh, what the Bible would call a salvation. Big theological word, $10 word, that basically means Jesus saves you. Period. That's it. You get salvation. You get what is coming to Jesus from God is now gifted to you. It's a gift. Not by works so that no one can boast about it. You've been given this gift of salvation. But at the same time, God is now going to go to work in your life to formulate and to form his character now more and more in you so that you reflect more and more of Jesus to the people around you. The self has been exchanged, but the process of renewal, of becoming more and more like Jesus, well, that's an ongoing daily process and journey. That's called sanctification. Big theological $10 word that simply says, okay, Christ saved me. He's given me a new position. That is Ephesians 1 through 3. Now, Ephesians 4 through 6 is the sanctification process. This process of now I'm being reformed and recreated to be more and more like Jesus. And that's going to be a contrast to the way I used to live or to the ways of the world around me. It's going to be different. I love what John Stott says this. However holy or Christ-like a Christian may become, he or she is still in the condition of being changed. Salvation is a gift from God. It's what Jesus did for you that you did not deserve or earn, but he's gifting it to you. 
Sanctification is the process now of him going to work and his grace working out in your life that you would become more and more like Jesus in your character and in your responses and in your actions. And that never stops this side of heaven. You don't ever arrive someday. You're not going to be, I turn 50 next month. What? I'm never going to arrive at 50 like, oh, I'm there. Now I'm done and I just coast. No. Sanctification is always this process ongoing. It's this continual process, this side of heaven. Christ has changed your condition and your position, but he is continually changing your character and behavior so that we would grow up in Christ and be more and more like him, which is what Lyle looked at last week. And it's this process. Paul is encouraging us to cooperate with the Holy Spirit in that changing work that he's doing. Here's something. The freedom of the gospel is not freedom to live just like the world or any way I want. The freedom of the gospel is to live more like Jesus. That's why there's freedom in the gospel. That you and I would reflect and be more and more like Jesus and more like God's son. Because we are now sons and daughters of the high and mighty king. And that our character would reflect that more. To know the beauty of that and to be recreated in Christ Jesus is a process that we go through. And it's saying no to the ways of the world. Even though the ways of the world may look enticing, they may look beautiful, they may look like something I should go after. And our world sends us so many messages, this is what you need in order to find fulfillment or to find satisfaction or to find and fill that ache in your heart. You need this or you need to do this or you need to have this. And Paul's saying, no, no, no. The life of God isn't just about things. And it isn't about just things you achieve. There's going to be this contrast and this tongue of war. And it may look like it's good, but it actually can be poisonous to you if you pursue it. And it'll actually, you'll wind up aching and longing for something more that you thought was going to fill you. But it actually didn't fulfill you at all. July 30th, 1945, the battle cruiser U.S. As uh, Indianapolis was returning from a mission in the Pacific Ocean. It never made it home. A Japanese torpedo hit that cruiser on the way back. It sank within minutes. Within 12 minutes, 300 of the 1,200 men died out at sea. 900 men went into the water. Enduring four days and five nights without food, without water, and in the blazing sun of the Pacific Ocean. And of the 900 that went into the water, only 316 survived. One of those was the chief medical officer. He wrote in a journal later about and recording that experience. Here's what he wrote. There was nothing I could do. Nothing I could do but give advice and bury the dead at sea and save the life jackets. Try to keep the men from drinking the water. See, when the hot sun came out and we were in the crystal clear ocean, you were so thirsty. You couldn't believe that it wasn't good enough to drink. I had a hard time convincing the men that they shouldn't drink it. The real young ones, you take away their hope, you take away their water and their food, and they drink the salt water and they go fast. I can remember striking them who were drinking the salt water, trying to stop them. They would get so dehydrated, become maniacal, and they would be mass, uh, 
hallucinations. I was amazed that everyone would see the same thing. One man would say something, they would see something, and then everybody would be seeing that. I even fought off the hallucinations that came with dehydration. But something always brought me back. And here in Ephesians chapter 4, it's like Paul is speaking and trying to bring us back with words, as though he was gently but surely striking us to say, don't drink the waters of this world. It will not satisfy you. In fact, it will, it will only hasten the dehydration spiritually that you have, and it will not end like you think it will. There is a way for you to live that's in contrast, that's different. And when it may look enticing, it's not the way for you. In fact, you've learned Jesus. And so here's what Paul is going to say about change. You want to know how to change? He gives you the secret right here. Verse 22 through 24 says this. You were taught in regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted, to be made new in the attitude of your mind and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness. It's like this idea of to put off and to put on. How many of you change clothes? Okay, good. I'm proud of you. Um, You put off a set of clothes and then you put on a different set of clothes. Maybe hopefully you wash them, clean them, And that's part of this process. How do you change in your life? Well, you've got to put off some things that you're doing in order to put on something new. You've got to choose something different. You can't just put off and expect change to happen. Because the reality is what happens is when you put something off, then that's what screams to you. Hey, you forgot about me. Hey, you took me off. You need me. You need me. You need to come back to this. And so many of the people you know and so many of your own journey and my journey as well is we try to change a habit and we try to put it off and then we just try to do that and we try to ignore it. But the reality is Paul is saying, no, no, how you produce change is you put off and then you replace it. You put on something new. And you've got you've to fill your life and your mind and your spirit with something different so that you're not distracted by this anymore. You've got to put off and then you've got to put on. And right in between this, there's this bridge that's beautiful. It'll all make sense here in a second. It's this incredible understanding. He says, like, don't be, remember he says in Romans 12, don't be conformed by the patterns of this world, but be renewed by your mind, right? Uh, Verse 23 says this, to be made new in the attitude of your mind. Be made new in the attitude of your mind. You notice what he doesn't say? He doesn't say you make your mind new. He tells you, you put off. And you put on. But you are to be made new in the attitude of your mind. Who does that work? Is it you? No. That's the secret. That's what Paul's saying. You have a role to play. And God has a role to play. Your job is to put off those things that are holding you back, the ways of the world that have caught your attention, they've got your devotion, and you know they're not the best for you. And you can put on some new activities that you know God is saying, be more like this, and you can do that, but you first, in in between that exchange, you have to be made new by the renewing of your mind. 
That's why he writes Romans 12 too. Don't be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be renewed by the renewing of your mind. And let the work of God, meaning you do what you can do and believe God will do what only he can do. And it's working in partnership with that. It's what theologians talk about, this idea of synergism and this idea of two working together. And that they feed off one another and that they need one another in order to make this and make this work. You do what you can do. Trust God to do what only he can do. This idea of working together. You can't be just totally passive. Okay, God, you fix everything. Make it better, God. And then you do nothing. But nor is it, God, I got this. I'll do it. I can change by willpower alone. And God's going to say, good luck with that. How many of you have tried that? It's tough. It's hard. And that's the point of what Paul is saying. There's a balance here. It's this idea of working together. You do what only you can do. You can put off and you can put on. And you let the Holy Spirit go to work at renewing your mind. You fix your mind on him. You pursue him. And watch him do a transformational work that only he can do. And you have activity in this. You have a part to play. You're not just passive. You're not just aggressive in this. It's this idea that you have to be in this. See, and churches can get to a place where we can say, okay, well, you need to put off those old habits. Just stop it. You know what that leads to? Legalism. And the church just yells, stop doing that. Or we can say, hey, put this on. You need to do more of this, do more of this. And what does that lead to? Hypocrisy. It's both and. I can learn to begin to put off some things, God. And I can learn to try to put on more of your character, more of your activity in life. But I need you to renew my mind and to renew my heart. I can't do that kind of work. That's a God-level kind of work. I can do a human level. And that is the struggle that Paul talks about here and what he refers to in Romans 8 where he says, look, I know this side of heaven, I'm not going to be perfect in this. There's still going to be things that pull me down alleys and pull me down sideways off the path that God has for me, but I want to get better at putting off and putting on. And God, you need to do the work of renewing my mind. Do you see how this all comes together and what Paul is asking us to do? That is where the contrast happens. And then the whole rest of chapter 4 is Paul giving life examples of that. Can I walk you through a couple? Uh, Verse 28, he says, he who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with his own hands that they may be able to share something with those in need. Uh, Think of it this way. When is a thief not a thief? Uh, Most people will say when they stop stealing. A thief who's not stealing is just in between stealing jobs. They're a thief. Uh, That's who they are. It's what they do. They're not stealing in this moment because they're just in between jobs. Uh, What Paul's saying is, no, no, if you're a thief... You stop stealing. You put off that way of living. And you go to work. And you work and you save and you live with margins so that you're actually able to give 
stuff away. So you put off and you put on and you let God do a renewing work of your mind to say you don't have to supply your needs. You're living with a scarcity mentality and that's why you steal your hurt and you're trying to steal because you're struggling. No, I want you to take that same energy you're putting there, I want you to put it on this way. You go to work. And, and you work in a way that you live with margin so that you can then give away. And now you're the opposite of what you were. See what he's saying? And he has case studies here. Verses 25 through 32 is all case studies. Just look at it on your own. He says, put off falsehood. Don't lie to one another. You put on honesty and truthfulness. That's what you speak. That's how you speak. You put off anger. You put on gentleness. You put off stealing. You put on honest work ethic. You put off unwholesome talk that comes out of your mouth. You put on speech that builds others up. You put off bitterness and rage, and you put on kindness and compassion. Paul is laying out case study after case study. Here's what you can do. You can put off, and you can put on. And you ask the Spirit to renew your mind and to change you from what you were to what you are. The work that Jesus did for you, Ephesians 1, 2, and 3, he has saved you. You've been given salvation. You are a new person. Now let that begin to play out in how you now live. That's what he's saying. You're new and improved. You have a new mind that you've been taught. You've learned the way of Jesus. You have a new heart that says, I don't have to live this old way. I can live a new way. I don't have to be uh, deceived by my desires. I can live with a new desire that God puts within me. You have a new behavior that I can clothe myself with a new self, created to look more and more like in the likeness of God and in his righteousness and his holiness. I'll never be perfect in that, this side of heaven. So I don't beat myself up when I fail. I get back up and I put off and then I put on. And I ask God to do a renewing work in my own life, to go from a darkened mind and heart and behavior to a new one that's lit up to be more and more like Jesus. That is the Apostle Paul to you and to me. So here's a simple question as we kind of lean toward a time of uh, meditation and worship here. Does your life reflect this spiritual contrast? Are you different than the world around you, than the friends around you? I'm, I'm not asking if you're just a different type personality. I'm just asking, are you different? Like, is there a contrast in the way you now live as a follower of Jesus than the way maybe you used to live or the ways that your friends live around you? Is there evidences of contrast in the way that you think, the desires of your heart, your will, and your choices, your behavior? Is it different this year than it was two years ago? See, spiritual maturity is that the contrast begins to show in how you now live. Not because you're performing to try to get God to love you. No, no. You've been transformed. He's renewing your mind, and so it just naturally goes that way. You start living that way. What is maybe Jesus wanting to do in your own heart to put off some things that are holding you back and they're taking you down alleys, they're taking you off the path that God has for you and you keep getting distracted by those 
And so what might the Spirit be saying to you to put off that habit, put off that choice, put off uh, that willingness to go that way, and put on something different? Why? Because the contrast is meant to show. And so I think one of the best practices for us as followers of Jesus is to continually go back to the practice of repentance. Repentance is getting to a place where you recognize, God, I I fall short of perfection. And I know that you want me to be perfect, to be holy as you are holy. Your scripture says that. But I'm just so short of that. And I know you love me. And I know you're for me. And and I'm your son. I'm your daughter. But I want to be more. I want to reflect more and more of Jesus in my life and in my living, in my choices, my decisions, my desires. And so the practice of repentance, I think one of the simplest prayers in the Bible is the last two verses of Psalm 139. Psalm 139 is an incredible psalm all about your beauty, how God sees you, how he sees me. He knit us together, that he is so intricately involved in your life and in my life. Even if you're not a follower of Jesus, this is what God says about you that he loves you, he made you special, he knit you together, he has plans for you and a purpose for you. And in this prayer at the end, David writes, he says, look, God, would you search me? Would you know my heart? The good things, the not so good things, the bright side, the shadow side. Would you know my heart? Would you test me? Would you know my anxious thoughts, the ways that I kind of go sideways or detour away from your best? Would you point out anything in me that offends you? That's not your best. And would you lead me in the path of everlasting life, the path that's best for me? And so here's what I want to invite us to do as we lead into a song here in a moment, is to meditate on this and to practice for 90 seconds. The practice of repentance. Here's what that means. Just read this to yourself and make it a prayer. God, would you search me? Would you show me maybe a habit, a choice, a decision that I'm making that you desire for me to put off so that I could put on your best, something better? I don't want to be detoured anymore. I want to put that off. I want to put what you have for me on. And I need you to renew my mind in the bridge in the midst of that process. And so take 90 seconds right where you're at. I'll close with some prayer and we'll move into another song. I'm gonna invite you to to really lean into this moment. If you're at home, uh, don't tune it out, but really kind of maybe get on your knees um, and just take a moment. God, would you search our hearts?
Father, for some of us, you're showing us a habit, a decision, a choice that you're wanting us to put off so that we can put on something better that you have for us. Repentance is not about wallowing in shame. It's not about guilt even. It's about a conviction that there's a better way. That your spirit brings a godly conviction that says, that's not the best for you. I got something better for you. So let's put that off. You don't have to be sidelined by that anymore. Let's put on something new and pursue that together. So Father, as we sing this song, as we spend some time just listening, Spirit, would you, would you convict us in gentleness and in hope to make more a habit of putting off, to, put, to putting on, and allowing you space and freedom to renew our minds. We pray. And you know, when I, in 2002, when I came to meet Jesus in the youth camp, um, my heart was filled with a first love for him. And I remember my heart was filled with a passion and thirst and hunger for him. And I remember it was so much easier to put some of the things off uh, that were holding me because I felt love for him and I felt loved by him. It was so much easier to leave those those things away and I don't know if you have experienced that but I've noticed that the more we love Christ the more we have confidence when we walk in him it's easier for us to leave those things away and you know what they, what the things are controlling you um, some of them are still sin um, but the more we come before you the more those things stay away um, and you know, um, a few years ago, I heard the song that we are about to sing. You actually sang it before. This is not the first time you hear it. I felt like this is it. This song is going to be the song of the year for me. And every time when I sing it, I would pray that I would be able to return to that place where I am fully loved by God, to the place where I fully love Him, where I'm in love with Him, kind of the place of first love, if you heard of it. And um, this is a great song, and this is a song of kind of repentance, the song, a prayer that God would take us back to the place where it all started, uh, the place of simple pursuit, um, the place of passion and hunger and thirst for Him. And this is the prayer for our church, for every one of you. This is not just a song, and I really hope you sing it and you feel it the same way. I pray that tonight during this song, some of the things, some of the old passion that you felt for him, for Christ, that it would be renewed in your life. I know I need it. So as you sing it, pray to him. And if you've never felt loved by Christ, or if you never felt that you fully loved him, ask him, ask him to show you the way to his heart tonight. Ask him to take you to the place of first love. All right, let's sing it. Take us back 
place we begin A simple pursuit Of nothing but you The innocent soul A heart in your head Take us back. Oh God, take us back. Dance where we in the power of your name. A heart beating for your kingdom to reign. A church that is known for your presence again. God, take us back. Church that is not 
Father, may that song be the pursuit of our heart to not ever put anything above you or even beside you on your level, but to pursue you first and most and to live with a continual heart that, that admits when we get that wrong so that we can put off what took us there so we could put on what you have that's so much better for us. Jesus, we love you. Would you meet us often this week, this Thanksgiving week, with a thankful heart of how active you are in our lives. We pray your blessing over each gathered, each watching, simply because you are great and you're good to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Well, a couple quick things. Uh, just Christmas is coming. I don't know if you know that or not, uh, but Christmas is coming, and we're starting a new series here in December, kind of the story of Christmas, making our way toward that. And with that, we are decorating this place. And so I'm asking, inviting those of you who love to decorate for Christmas. I know some of you don't. Don't come, okay? You'll make it ruin. You'll ruin it. Um, but like, if you love to decorate for Christmas, not tomorrow, but the next Monday, the 30th at 9 a.m. right here, we would love to partner with you in that. Um, also letting you know, uh, just we're doing a refresh, Elements Refresh series in January. I'm just, I'm continually going to talk about that so you know that it's coming. Uh, and with that, we are also looking and talking with our board last Thursday of kind of doing a little bit of a financial refresh and all that really means is that we had a couple things earmarked, uh, particularly for scholarships that we gave kids scholarships in 2018 and 19, and we had some money marked for that, that we really, we need it to go toward general fund. And the reason we're doing that was just, it's a, this is a season where we've got to kind of start fresh. And I'm just letting you know that. If you have questions about that, our board made that decision to do that. And if you have questions about that, come, come talk to me. Um, but just wanted to be transparent with you. Um, so we're not hiding anything. We're going to let you know. Uh, and that's kind of, that'll help us get in a good spot going into 2021. Uh, and so thank you again to all of you who support Elements. And you do that. A lot of folks do that online through the app. Uh, you could do that. There's boxes in the back, and you could do that as well. We don't pass a plate, uh, but we invite you to be a part of the ministry that is Element City Church going forward. So last but not least, invite you back for next week. If you are new, I'll be at the 10-minute party in about 60 seconds. I'd love to meet you uh, there. Thank you all for being here. Um, may God's blessing be upon you. May you sense the Spirit telling you what to put off and what to put on. And that his work of renewing your mind would be felt and sensed in refreshing ways this week. God bless you, friends.